so it's Father's Day. Happy birthday, Daddy. Hey, I got an idea what we can do. After church, we can move all the chairs out of the way. We can have like a, you know, sort of like a dad cage match. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to lose like horribly. That would be bad. So, okay, so all I got, as close as I'm going to get to Father's Day is, so, um, how about this? Um, how about a dad joke? Right? So, what did, or no, wait, see, I already messed it up. Dad gum. Okay. How did the hamburger introduce his date? Mm. Okay, hang on, we got to do this. So somebody had it right. How did the hamburger introduce his date? You guys don't really want to know, so. He said, meet Patty. Oh, what do you call, what do you call an old snowman? Water. And, okay, here's the last one. Why did the invisible man not take the job? Ready? Because he couldn't see himself doing it. Because he's invisible. So, That idea, the invisible man, right? we, can't, we can't see ourselves doing a lot of things. <clears throat> we can't see ourselves um, needing a lot of things. And maybe where you see that most is in prayer, right? So ask yourself this. How do you respond when someone says, hey, I'm praying for you? So a couple of responses. So here's the first one. Ready? Aw, thank you. Anybody do that one? Aw, you got to do the head tilt. Aw, thank you. And so what that really means is, why, why, are you, why are you praying for me? I don't really need anything. And then another one. This is, um, I mean, this is, I think, sort of popular. Someone says, well, I'm, hey, I prayed for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, and so the subtext, though, is, Hmm, they gave me a card because they couldn't give me a real gift. Right? Come on, nobody does that? Nobody's like, when somebody comes and prays, you go, thank you. $500 would have been better, but thanks. Thank you. You don't happen to have a new air conditioner in your back pocket, do you? Because that, be, that would be good right now. Really, I mean, how often is it for you when someone says, I'm praying for you, that you grab hold of that like your life depends on it? I'm really guilty of that. And that sort of bleeds over into us praying for other people, right? Us praying for situations. So you got two, two things going on there, at least, right? This idea that we have that we really don't need anything. I mean, think about how silly this is. When someone says, how can I pray for you? You get this. I'm good, nothing. <laughs> really? 
Are you insane? I mean, think about this. When someone says, can I pray for you, and you go, yeah, no, no, uh uh-uh. That says something about me, and it says something about you. And maybe you don't really know how bad you need what you need. The other thing, the other idea maybe that's there, embedded in that, is that I don't think it's very helpful. Doesn't really, doesn't really do anything. No. I mean, praying, it really is sort of, I don't know, if your dad or if, or if as a dad you do this thing when people say, hey, hey, what do you want for, what do you want for Father's Day? And you say, well, I'd like the electric bill paid. That'd be nice. We, we don't really think that prayer is going to really give us much. It's not, it's not like hard, hard currency. Well, if this prayer that we've been looking at tells us anything, it's that we are in desperate, desperate need of prayer. Maybe more desperate than you actually know. Again, if you look at this prayer, if you look at John 17, not as, oh, look, there's Jesus over there in the garden praying, or not in the garden, in the upper room praying. Oh, look, there's that story over there about Jesus doing that stuff over there, praying. Way back then, if we don't, if we sort of, sort of change the angle a bit and say, no, no, what we're, what we're hearing is the intercession of the high priest. We're seeing and hearing Christ do what he does as a high priest for us. If we listen to it that way, then what this says is, man, we must be in a world of hurt for him to be praying for that. I mean, you kind of get the impression from what Jesus is praying. Because like last week, when I said last week, those things that Jesus prayed for, he prayed for us to glorify him. He prays for the Father to preserve us. To keep us in. He prayed for our oneness. This unity. And he prays all of that leading up to. He prays that we be filled with the joy that he had. In this relationship with the father. That's everything. He has to pray for all of that for us because we can't do it. We can't get any of that ourselves. And that's the way it stays. We need him. And he continues that here. He shows us how desperate we are and our need. And he also shows us that this actually does something. His prayer is effectual. That means it does what it does. It gets what it's after that prayer. Because of where it's grounded 
in the person and work of the one who's praying it, Christ. That's what we see. Now, in this one particular passage, this part that we're going to look at now, verses 14 to 19, you and I, you and I, we are here living as witnesses of the revelation of God in the person of Christ. And we're living as witnesses of that revelation in a hostile world. And you know why we can do that? You know why that's possible? Because Christ prays to the Father for the support of us, his people. He's praying that the Father would provide, give, the support that you and I need as we are moving in this hostile world, giving testimony, witness to this revelation of God in Christ. Let me read for us 14 and 19. I've given them your word, and the word, excuse me, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace that you have shown us in your Son. Thank you that we gather here not to hear uh, a speech or mere words, but we gather by faith knowing that we hear from your Son. Our prophet, our priest, our king, proclaiming your word to us. Father, I pray that we would all sort of have this sense that we are gathered at the foot of the mountain. That we're smelling smoke, that we're feeling heat, that we're hearing loud thunders. Lord, I pray by faith that we would see what's going on in your throne room right now. As we gather to worship, as we gather to hear from you, as we gather to be fed as your people. Father, would you strengthen us by this word. Keep your promise to not allow your word to return void. We praise you, Father, that your word does what it intends to do in the hearts of your people. Give us hearts that can hear. Give us hearts that are moldable, that will be shaped by your spirit. Open our eyes Open our ears that we may hear and see wonderful things in your word. It's in, excuse me, Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So Christ is praying that the Father would support us. His people. What is this support? What is it that he's asking the Father for? Well, two things, really simply. He's praying that the Father will protect us, and he's praying that the Father will sanctify us. Just two things. Everything around those two prayers, right, or those two petitions, supportive, explanatory of that. Praise that the Father will protect us. Praise that the Father will sanctify us. 
Let's look at the first one. Praying that the Father will protect us. And I get that from verses 14 and 15, or at least the first part of 15. Jesus says, first of all, I have given them your word. And then at the latter part of 14, he says, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That first verse, that opening verse, when we've already heard that stuff, right? Jesus has given them the Father's word. I remember way back earlier, he says, hey, I've manifested the name of the Father. Or he's saying, Father, I manifested your name to the people that you gave me, and they kept your word. He's expressed that. This is actually, oddly enough, the first reason that we need protection. <laughs> Think about that. We need protection because Jesus gave us this word. That's the case because there's this undeniable connection now. Again, think again about what he says. I've given them your word, and then at the end of that, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Jesus gives us this revelation of who God is. Now remember, I said this last week. Just hang on with me. That word, it's singular, right? That word sort of encapsulates, it sort of summarizes this whole big story that Jesus has been telling. Jesus has been saying, hey, listen, I, I'm not from here. I came from above, the Father. I came from the Father. I, nobody knows the Father but me because I'm the Son. I came from the Father because he sent me. And you know what he sent me to do? He sent me to show you who he is. To present to you, to reveal to you this invisible God that is there. I had this little, uh, uh, little, uh, um, what is it, image. And it was because I was so prideful, it broke the computer and I, I, can't, I can't show it to you. So I'll show it to you like this. See, so you got it? You can see the, see what this is, this is an image, this is like a living image of the book of John, right here. You don't even need me to preach anymore, it's just right, right there. So now you have like a vague idea. You've got this, Jesus, Jesus comes into a world, remember John says, that's dark. Now, through this, in this, in this creation, excuse me, creation, what we get to see is God's wisdom. We see his power. We see his goodness. But that's it. That, there's a limit. There's a cap on what creation can show. Now, let me sort of add to this. We add to this the fall, right? So there's the darkness that John talks about, right? So we've got God's wisdom, his power, his goodness on display Take Romans 1. On display in creation, and we can't see it on our own. Or to put, John calls it blind. Blind, we can't see. Paul says we suppress it, right? Push it down. Creation shows all this stuff, so it's dark. And then Jesus enters the scene, right? Light. And, of course, in Christ, we see God's wisdom and power and goodness. But we see more. We see his compassion. We see his grace. We see his mercy. We see his righteousness. We see holiness, truth. We see his patience. We see all of that in Christ with a clarity that has never been before. Again, get this. God is invisible. 
And we are fallen. And in Christ, here's what you have. You have humanity. You have divinity. Two natures. One person, Jesus. I mean, the Son. That is as close. That is as close as we get to God. Jesus, human, human nature, in the flesh. How does that happen? I don't know. Your mind should be blown. Because this is the God of all creation taking on flesh. Entering into this world. And that Jesus, fully human, fully divine, son of second person of the Trinity, steps into the world. He says, let me introduce you to my father. This is what he's like. This is who he is. This is what he does. That's what Jesus does. He steps into this dark world. That's light. That's going to be important in just a second. So we got this representative image of the invisible God. That's the word that Jesus has given. And that word does something, right? Well, it does something, right, because we've gone, oh, my, come here. I need this. Here is the one true God. Or, or here's, here's, here's John's deal. Here is reality. This is reality. Truth, right? This is reality in the flesh. There is, there is nothing else that is reality. He is it. Or he's real reality, if we could say it that way. We've received. We've believed. Oh, I believe that you're where you say you're from. The Father. I believe that you actually can do what you say you can do. You can show me who he is. That I can know him in you. I believe you when you say that he actually welcomes me. That I don't have to be afraid. I'm welcomed in. When that happens, right, these folks, again, remember Jesus is praying you know, for his disciples that were with him, right? But this extends to all of us. When that happens, they leave a world that they knew. They leave a world that they belong to. They're leaving a world that they called home. And they've come to Jesus. They're on his side. They are allied with him. They're connected to him. That has to happen when we receive that word. It can't be another way. There is no way to receive this word and be from the world. All of a sudden, something's changed. We become different. So that's this undeniable connection. We need, we need Jesus to pray for our protection because of that. Okay, but here's the rest of the story, right? This inevitable conflict. I left out that middle part. Jesus says, I have given them your word... And the world has hated them. Mm, the world hates them. 
So we've got this dark world. Jesus comes in. He's this light putting on full display who this God is. People buy it. They believe it. They come to him. They leave that world. And they realize, oh, that world doesn't like me very much anymore. Okay? We'll get specific. Here's why. Listen to John 3. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. <laughs> okay. That does not win friends when you have someone who says, oh, yeah, that's, that's evil. That's not fit for the light. They know it, right? That their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. I don't want anything to do with this light. Because I don't, I don't want to get rid of any of this. John 7, 7 says this. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that, it, that its works are evil. John 15, right? This is within that sort of whole, the scope of the passage that, or the section of John that leads up to this prayer, 13 through 17. In John 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, get this, but I chose you out of the world. Right? That goes hand in hand with being given the word. Remember Jesus says he manifested who God is to those that the Father had given him. So all of this stuff starts to, starts to blend together. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I picked you I put you on my team, but now people don't like you very much. Verse 20 says this, remember the, word, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And then all of that, that's 15, and there's some other, there's a couple more verses, but it leads up to this one in 1620, and I want you to hear this. So Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, okay, so I said this to you because I want you to remember, you know, um, uh, that these are the things that I told you were going to happen, right? But Jesus says this in 162. They will put you out of the synagogues. Okay, now, might, they might say, okay, I, 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 you know, synagogue was kind of you know, dull. I can, I can, I'm okay with that. But then he says this, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever, when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Okay, did, was that, did you read that in the contract before you signed it? I mean, did any, did any of you see that clause when Jesus says, here, I'm the light, and you're, wow, this is God in the flesh, right? We can know who God is. Yes! Could cost you a little something. I mean, really, is this the way you think about relationship to the world? That you are in a world as one who clings to Christ. You're in a world that fundamentally hates you. I mean, there's not an option here. I mean, do you realize that's where you are presently in this world? Some of you have experienced a little bit of this. I mean, I mean, like, 
overtly in your face. Have any of you ever been a little bit afraid of being hated by the world? I have. It's scary. I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, she, I used to work with her. She is, um, she's, she's gay, and she is in a relationship, been in a relationship for a really long time. We're talking, and we're at work, and we're talking. We're sort of sitting at this table, um, and we're handing stuff out just for, you know, a job. And so we're talking, and she, she really starts to push the church issue, right? She started, you know, talking. And, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this exactly, right? Because my experience, had, my experience had not been really great up to that point in dialoguing with somebody who didn't agree with me about, about um, the LGBT issues. But this friend of mine, she was, she's real interesting. She was like, oh, well, yeah, let's just talk about this. And so we start talking. And it was funny because she was, um, you know, she was sort of adamant. She recognized how difficult some of these conversations can be. She recognized how, you know, yeah, yeah, there's not always a lot of listening that goes on. You know, you sort of just get put in a category. And, I mean, and she was um, really open to really talking about these issues. She asked me about my church. She said, well, if I went to your church, who would, would people, what would, they, would, they, would they let me come? I was like, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they're not going to eat you. I mean, they're going to, yeah, they're going to like you. I mean, and I said, well, you know, but now communion is another thing. And so we talked about communing. And she told me about the church that she went to. And I, we left there, and I remember having this feeling. It was like, it was weird. It was like this, this it's just this kind of sick, um, sad kind of feeling. Like, well, first I was afraid, and I asked her, I said, you know, did I, did I say anything that, uh, in, you know, in, in insinuated that I, I somehow think you're not, you know, an actual human being? And she said, no. no, no. And then this other sort of part of the feeling snuck up on me. And I realized part, it was this, it was this, it was like a sadness, a fear of being pushed away. I mean, that's happened before. Right? You disgust me. That was the fear. That she would somehow... See me as less than human, as not worth talking to or interacting with. And I say that because there's a side to this thing of not being of the world, right? And being hated that's it's hard. It doesn't mean that, you know, everybody's going to like gather around your door with, you know, pitchforks and, you know, fire. Kill them. But there's, there is sort of a grief that goes with this, right? Because remember, that was, that was home. where 
that's where I belong at one time. It's hard to experience that kind of loss. You can see that in the, the examples that Jesus gives. If you're wondering like what the world is, the world is this sort of this, in John anyway, is this sort of systemic, sort of structural rejection of God. And you know who Jesus is talking mostly about in the Gospels is his people. The structures, synagogue. I think Ben has talked about this before. I mean, that's where, that's where my friends were. That's where my family is. Business. Torah, the law. All of these things were the world. They constituted the world for Jesus' followers. And it was a world that rejected Christ. And so they were part of the world. And Jesus says, what you used to call home, what used to be the place that you belonged, you'll be hated. You can't go back there. And then we have this sort of unrelenting enemy, right? So you got this Whole, whole thing, we got the undeniable connection, right? That starts us off. We belong to Jesus. We got this inevitable conflict. No way around it. And then we got this unrelenting enemy. And it's in, that's in 15. The second part of 15, Jesus says, that you may keep them from the evil one. That's the petition. We finally get to it. He's asking the father, keep these guys from the evil one. Now, why does he go there? Why does he, hadn't brought up the evil one yet. I mean, he's not in the prayer. He's just been talking about the world hating. And he's, the world's going to do this stuff. But now he's praying that the father would keep them from the evil one. That's because this sort of hatred in the world, that's just, that's symptomatic. of this evil one, who he is. In John 12, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Just before Jesus is hauled away, in John 14, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus is coming after him. John 16, he says, concerning judgment, right? He says, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, right, he's going to, you know, he's going to reveal this conviction of sin and judgment of the world. And what he says about that is because the ruler of the world is judged. This ruler of the world is this evil one, and it's just Satan. I mean, a central facet of his work, John says this in another place, is to destroy the work of the devil. This is this, the fall, darkness, world, rejecting Jesus. I mean, Paul says that the, the ruler of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. So Jesus, his work is targeting that ruler. But in taking him out, which the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus does, that doesn't stop him from coming after God's people. So let me give you this, this, one, this one verse, I think, that just really paints a nice picture. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, it says this. 
Jesus is talking to Simon or Peter. Here's what he says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan. Now listen to the way that Jesus, listen to how he says this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now what's interesting is that when he says Satan is demanded to have you, the you in that first verse, is, they're a plural. Just imagine Jesus saying, hey, you know what? Church. Satan, you know, he told me personally, right? Because he's pretty cocky. He, he wants to eat you for lunch. He wants to grind you up. Take you out. How do you feel about that? I mean, do you think about, do you think about, you think about this idea that you're not just sort of an incidental sort of, you know, collateral damage in the spiritual warfare? Right? You get that, right? You are a target. I mean, Scripture's pretty explicit about this. This same guy, Peter, later on, in 1 Peter 5, he says this, right? Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I mean, is that just a little bit disturbing to anybody else? Jerry, how you, Jerry, how you feel about that? That you're a part of a you're a part of this body, and that means that you got a target on you. Are you huh? It's just a little bit scary. This is sort of active reality here. This isn't maybe, this isn't possibly. This is where we live. And so it's really surprising when Jesus, he prays, Father, keep them from the evil one. So Jesus has just said, okay, we're in this world and they're, they're, they're not from the world. They're, they're with me now. And the world hates them. And oh yeah, there's this roaring lion, you know, sort of just sort of, you know, pacing around them, ready to sort of pounce. Here's what I'm thinking. Hey, let's get out of Dodge, Jesus. No? Hey, Jesus, this doesn't seem like a great place. <laughs> Hey, I'm all for it. Let's just go start something new somewhere. You're God. You can create a whole new thing, right? He says in 15, I skipped over this part deliberately. I do not ask that you take them out. Does anybody else say, why not? That sounds like a good idea to me. Why not? That brings you to this next part. This won't be as long. This latter part. The second thing that Jesus prays for the Father to do is to sanctify us. This is why he doesn't take us out of the world. Man, you gotta... You got to catch this. I 
What we see in this second part, just an overview, is what Jesus did, right? First part of John, he comes to his own. And they refused him. And you know what he did? You know what Christ does? He comes to, he comes to the people that he created. And he says, hey, I am showing you the stuff. This is it. This is the pinnacle reality. The one true God. And they go, oh, forget it. No way. Get out of here. He didn't say, oh, well, you had your shot. And get on the bus and go back home. You know what he did? He stayed in a world that hated him. Think about this. The God who created all things. Them. He kept walking in. Though everything in them wanted to beat him out of the place. And they actually did that, right? He kept walking in until he wasn't walking anymore. He died. He rose. He ascended. You know what? He still didn't leave. Like he pours out his spirit into these people that have grabbed hold of him. And he said this. You keep going out. It's dark. That's the point. Keep walking. Well, they, they're not very nice. That's the point. Keep walking. They're going to kill me. Yeah, I know what you mean. But you belong to him. He belongs to you. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's what that God does. Jesus asked the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. That same word that Jesus gave us that separated us out. That same word, that same revelation, being immersed in it, getting really close to it, smelling it, right? tasting it, letting, getting, getting, getting our hands in it, really feeling that this God reveals who he is through this person and there is no other way that that could happen. There's no other way to see that God, the real God. As we, as we hold fast to that, we're shaped by it. We're sanctified. Like it's ongoing. Set apart. And all of that's grounded in what Jesus says in, verses, in verse 19. He says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. All of this, all of this, it's not just possible. All of this happens because Christ completed his work. This consecration, the same word for sanctification, this sanctification that Jesus is talking about, 
is his death and resurrection. I did this for their sake that they could, guess what, right? Be set apart for the Father and do precisely what I've done. And as you do this, as you walk and live in this world as a witness of this revelation of God that you are hugged up tight to, savoring, you find that in the middle of a hostile world, it's really scary. We have this life and this joy. There's nowhere else. You are far more needy than you think you are. All of us. We are desperately dependent for everything here. And your Savior, your high priest, his prayer for you There's no question. He gets what God has promised because he finished the work. We are his. He's ours. But he gives us everything that we need. That same Savior he sat with these disciples at the Passover just before he was about to die and he says to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer As we, eat this, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, please don't hear Jesus off in a room with his disciples saying, I really like you guys. Jesus, he shows up here. God shows up and he says, I earnestly desire to eat this you because you're mine and I'm yours and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he said to them take this and divide it among yourselves for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This supper we celebrate in remembrance of all that our Savior has accomplished for us. Let's distribute the elements.